Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Today, we're going to talk about the subject. The title of our message today is Dust and deity, dust and deity. And I, when I use the word deity, I'm referring to our God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at the difference between dust and deity today. Have you ever, probably didn't happen to a lot of you, but some of you maybe at some point in your life, you found out you weren't quite as great as you thought you were at something. I know it's going to be a stretch for a lot of you to imagine this, but maybe sometime back you remember that you thought you were a great kindergarten student, but you found out you had to color inside the lines. I mean, something like that probably happened to you, right, at some point. You know, I remember as a student in college taking a certain math class that I thought I really had, and I thought I was really doing great, and I didn't do great on the first test, did a little worse on the second test. And then by the third test, I was in trouble. And I woke up to a D in differential equations. I thought, oh my goodness, I have a D. And in engineering, a D is not for done. A D stands for do over, right? You cannot graduate with a D in a key math class. And sometimes in life, we need those things. Maybe for you, it was, you thought, man, I'm doing great in this job. I'm killing it. I am killing it. Until you had that first review with your boss. Remember that and that evaluation? And they sat down. I said, you know, you're, you're really kind of about to be fired. You know, you, didn't, you just recognize, man, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. When I was a high school student, I, um, I uh, was an average athlete, maybe. Maybe not quite average. Um, but I was a quarterback for our freshman team. And I thought, man, the coaches began to speak to me that I was going to be the next Brett Favre, or the next, I was going to be amazing, you know, I mean, how they do when you're a freshman, they just pump sunshine up your skirt, you're going to be amazing, you know, it's, it's going to be great, you're, and I I worked at, and I did everything they told me to do, and I I was already planning on a college scholarship, you know, I really was going to go pro and everything, that was where I was as a 15-year-old kid, and didn't exactly happen, actually, it didn't happen at all. Now, I realized I was just an average athlete. I wasn't somebody who was really that great. Spiritually, it's even more important. We need to understand who God is and who we are. And you say, well, see, that sounds ridiculous. I know I'm not God. I know I'm not even close to God, really. We have this tendency to elevate ourselves spiritually, and it can be incredibly costly. So today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 12, verse 18 in just a moment, but I want to, as we build up to that, I want us to understand who we are and who God is from the very beginning. You see, we are really only dust. I told you this was going to be encouraging, didn't I? I want to lift you up. I want to make you feel awesome. You're just dust! Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We started out as dust. 
that the Lord God took in his hands and formed into a person. And then he breathed his life into that dust and it became a living creature. See, without God's activity, we're just the dust of the ground. We have to get that in our mind because not too many days after that, we see us as humans standing before the forbidden fruit. And what are we saying? Oh, this is what God told us not to do. I remember now. But man, you know, it looks really good. It's beautiful. It's, it looks like it's going to taste better than anything I've ever tasted before. And, and I have heard from a reliable serpent. I've heard from the enemy of God that it's going to make me godlike. So surely I must have it. And tragedy happened. Because dust that's merely animated by deity, when it wants to be deity, it results in distance. And man and woman, us, we got cast out of God's best for us. And we got put in a place where we had to work really, really hard just to eat and where birthing babies was really, really hard and where there was a problem between men and women in a relationship of marriage. I mean, that's what happened as a result of original sin. And God, we, we lost God's very best for us. Every time that we say to God, we know better than him how to live, it results in us missing out on his very best for us. His very best for us. And so man got cast out of the garden and God's redemptive plan began, right? Because God provided coverings for sin. He provided animal coverings, which was the first shedding of blood to cover sin. And dust that wanted to be deity wound up distant from God. And not long after that, Genesis chapter 11, you know the story. We gathered together and we said, you know what? You know, this God, I think, I think we can elevate ourselves to his level. I really think we can. Let's build a tower and we're going to get up to God so that we don't really have to be judged by God. And so we're going to the same level as God. It's a, the same idea with a little bit different nuance. And, you know, it just seems like that seems ridiculous to us. But we do the same thing, really, in our thinking. Say, God, I, I can't understand why you're doing this must be wrong. God, I am on a level that's high enough to judge you. And you know what happens? God goes down, confuses their language so they would go out and spread over the whole earth like they were supposed to do, and they wind up confused. See, when dust wants to be deity, it winds up confused, not understanding, not able to communicate. And then, when dust wants to be deity, it results in disaster. And this is where we're at today, Acts chapter 12. We're looking at Herod, Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great. And we're looking at what happens to one who wants to take God's glory himself. Now, last week we talked about Peter is in prison because Herod decided... Listen, I want the people of Israel to love me. I want to curry favor with them. So I'm going to take, start to remove this 
this scourge that's on the Jewish people called the church, and I'm going to start taking them out. I'm going to, I'm going to capture James, and he kills him with the sword because this church is claiming that the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the, the way to please God by being good is not enough. That's what the church says. It says none of us are good enough. It's only when we receive the gift of salvation, when only when the blood of this criminal Jesus is, counts for our sin that we can be innocent. That's what the church said, and it, and it, was, it was blowing up the whole Jewish people, and they were upset, and they, we got to get rid of these people. we got to get rid of this church, and it's been tried before, but Herod says, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take out one of the lead disciples, and he does. He takes out James, and then he captures Peter, but he can't keep him. He's going to kill him the next day. In the middle of the night, an angel comes and, and shines a great big light on him, and Peter, sleeping so soundly, trusting God so much that he doesn't wake up, and the animal, the animal, the angel has to smack him in the head. Peter, wake up. We're headed out. And God rescues Peter from prison. We've talked about last week how in prison, when you're stopped, when you're not able to be and do what God calls you to be and do, you have to understand God may miraculously rescue you, or he may not, but whatever it is, it's for his glory, for his purpose. And he rescues Peter to prove that God is more powerful than any leader, than any nation, than any army, than any prison. And so Peter leaves. And in verse 18, we pick up the story. This is the aftermath. God's word says this. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. No kidding. Because, you know, in those days, if you lost your prisoner, you lost your life. Like, we got to find this guy. This is a disaster. We got to get this guy. They know they're in deep trouble, so there's no little disturbance. Verse 19. And after Herod searched for him, meaning Peter, and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. And that's just what happened to you. If you were a guard and you lost your prisoner, they put you to death. And that's what Herod did. He says, listen, this is a defeat, but it's not that big a deal. We're going we're to make the people pay who messed up. And then he goes down to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was one of Herod's favorite places. It was kind of his headquarters. He had a beautiful beachfront home uh, right on the water. It literally was so on the water that they had it rigged up so that water from the sea could flow into pools inside of his home. And if you visit Caesarea today, you could see the ruins of this home. And uh, it, it, was, it was stunning. It was special. It was gorgeous. The Mediterranean is beautiful. So Herod goes down there, and he's about to host this big festival. According to Jewish historian Josephus, there was going to be a, Herod regularly hosted these huge festivals that, that supposedly celebrated Caesar, but kind of really brought more glory to Herod himself. And so he, he hosts this big festival, and down there, not too far from his house, there's this big, beautiful amphitheater, which incidentally, the acoustics are still really good today, and Julie sang at the bottom of it. You could hear it from the top. It was amazing. And they also have this big kind of stadium area where they would have, you know, the chariot races, and uh, I probably later had the lions kill the Christians, but they also had some kind of Olympic games, you know, wrestling race, you know, running races and all that sort of thing. So he's going to host this kind of Olympic-like event. And that's what he goes down there for in verse 19, verse 20. 
Now Herod was angry, and he was really angry, like wipe you off the map angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, one of my favorite names in all of Scripture. Sounds like a character from Popeye, doesn't it? Um, Blastus, the king's chamberlain. And they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So Tyre and Sidon, they're cities of Phoenicia. They are on the northern coast of the Mediterranean, which would have been west of Syria, north of Israel. And if you look at a map of the Mediterranean, it would have been on your right side, kind of on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean, northeastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. And the Phoenicians were seagoing people. They were traders. They didn't really grow a lot of their own food, so they relied on Israel for their grain. And there was a very long-standing trade agreement with Israel to provide corn and other grains to the area of Phoenicia and Tyre and Sidon. And somehow things went sideways and things went bad in the deal. And Herod is really furious. Don't know if they didn't take enough grain. Don't know if they underpaid him. Don't know what happened. But Herod is really upset. And so they come and they're asking for peace. So Herod, being the one who has the grain, has the power over their very food supply. He is exercising some power to make them do what he wants them to do. You ever have that happen in your life? Someone who maybe has a higher rank. Maybe they're a senior and you're a freshman. Maybe they're an older sibling. You're a younger sibling. Maybe they have more experience in your job and they, they kind of lean on you. And they want you to treat them a certain way. They demand certain things from you. And that's what Herod is up to right now. Because, you know, dust likes to rule dust. You know, you ever notice that? People like to kind of put themselves over other people. And they like to kind of press on the opportunities and advantages that they have. Verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Now, royal robes shouldn't sound unusual. Herod is kind of the, the appointed king of the area, but... Josephus says that this robe that Herod put on on this day, and this is about 44 A.D., so about 11 years after the death of Christ, and uh, this robe was actually made of silver strands and woven together to make it look like he was wearing pure silver. Now imagine what that would look like. You're standing on a in an amphitheater on the shores of the Mediterranean, you're wearing pure silver, and you stand up and the morning sun hits you, and you look like you are literally glowing, like light is literally emanating from your body, like you are a God-like picture, God-like person. It's an incredible sight, and it, it feels like Herod is kind of saying to the church and those who think that Peter is awesome, listen, you had an angel come visit you? Supposedly there was this great light. Well, it just That was just to save one person. Well, I'm Herod, and I'm standing up here. I am your source of light, even though it's just reflected, but I am so awesome. I'm looking awesome before thousands of people, and you got the the, 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 tire, the guys from Tyre and the guys from Sidon sit down front, and so he looks like he's trying to look like a god. He's trying to say how great he is. He's given the illusion that light comes from him. You see, dust 
has a tendency to want to look like deity. It's just within us. And Herod is letting it play out. He has absolute power in his area, he thinks, and he wants to look like it. So that's the scene in verse 22. And the people are shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. They're saying, you are deity, Herod. You are amazing. And you wonder if Blastus had kind of put him up to this, right? Because in reality, they knew they just had to tell Herod what he wanted to hear. Ever have that feeling? Someone's just telling you what you want to hear so you won't be upset with them anymore. It doesn't ever happen to you parents, I know. Um, but it does happen, right? They're just telling you what you want to know. Because Blastus knows, listen, I've been paid off to help these guys find peace. So what you need to do when Herod gets up to speak, just go, he's a God, and it's going to be amazing. And that's what they do. Whether they thought he was a god or not doesn't really matter. Herod is basking in this incredible praise that he is a god. He is literally being worshipped right now. He's basking in it. Dust is being hailed as deity. Verse 23. In the midst of all this, it's happening. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. You see, God doesn't share his glory. Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. I'm not sharing my glory with anyone. You say, well, that sounds kind of selfish of God. I mean, surely somebody else deserves. No, listen, it's the most honest and wonderful thing for God to say, there's no one like me. He loves us too much for us to worship some other person that's going to disappoint us. It happens a lot. May have happened to you. Someone you kind of held up as godlike fell. It happens in our culture all the time. Maybe God doesn't strike down everyone who claims to be, kind of take on his glory, but it sure did happen to a lot of entertainers, doesn't it? Because you don't see a lot of really old, top-level entertainers. Elvis, Hank Williams, Michael Jackson. See, it's a very dangerous thing to take the glory of God. God loves us too much to fall in love with someone else's glory. And he takes the life of Herod when he is at his highest point. When he's trying to claim the most glory, God takes him out. Now, it's really interesting that he apparently falls down on sight. Now, Josephus says it takes five days for him to die. And some people think it was appendicitis. But Luke says it was worms. 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 Now, that's nasty. You know what I mean? That is a nasty thing to think, well, what happened to Steve? Well, you know, worms got him. If he'd only taken his dog medicine, he'd have been just fine. But think about what worms are and what they represent and where do they live. See, worms live in the dust. And the point I think God is making and Luke is making through, God is making through Luke at this point is saying, listen, he's just dust. 
He's not God. He's a place that worms live. And worms took him down and took him back to dust. It's a powerful, it's, it's a powerful picture. Herod dies because he's just dust. He's not deity. See, deity returns dust to dust. But deity marches on. Verse 24. But the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had, when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So here's what he's saying. The guy who claimed to be king, oh, he's gone. The worm's got him. But the message and the mission of Jesus Christ goes on and on and on. Oh, and by the way, we just added another key leader, John Mark, who will actually, most people believe, write the gospel of Mark. See, God doesn't, isn't stopped by some king claiming to have his glory. His message goes on and on and on, even into 2022 in Delray Beach, Florida. Deity marches on. So you may be asking, well, Steve, I don't really know how this applies to me because I don't have a jacket made of pure silver and I'm not taking God's glory. I don't think, well, let's, let's take a look because human nature is pretty common and it's really helpful for us to see who we are in relationship to who he is. So my first question is this. How close do you feel to God? Do you feel like he's far away? My old high school coach used to say, if you feel far from God, who moved? What happens in our lives is we get distant from God when we fight with God over how we're going to live. Adam and Eve got distant from God because they took what God said they shouldn't take. They did what God said they shouldn't do. So if you're far from God, my first question is, you feel like he's distant. Have you taken on a lifestyle that doesn't please him? Have you said to God, you know what, I don't really believe your entire word. I'm going to make up my own word. I'm going to pick and choose what I like and what I don't like. I'm going to really kind of make up my own truth, which does what? It makes you God. You become the standard setter. You become the one you evaluate yourself against. Well, this is what I said I was going to do, and I've done it. But this is how I said I was going to live, and this is how I live. But the result is you find yourself far from God. You find yourself more distant, more disconnected. You don't feel his presence. You find yourself more anxious, more fearful. You're working harder than you used to work just to be happy. Your relationships are more difficult. So what do I do? Listen, first thing, you just you need to let God be God. Make a decision. I'm going to let God be God. And his standards, I'm going to make my standards the best of my ability. I'm, I'm going to make, let God be God. You see, he sets the standards. And he knows the very best way to live. God's not keeping something good from you. He's giving you his very best when he tells you how to live. See, remember, 
You're just dust animated by deity. Second, are you confused? Are you confused? Are you trying to figure out what's next, where you should go? You have trouble making decisions. You're kind of stuck. You don't know really what to do. Where do I go from here? I don't know whether to go to this school or that school, take that job or this job. I don't want to spend money on this or that. Should I save money here? Should I buy real estate? Should I not buy real estate? Should I, what should I do? I just, I'm just constantly confused. Should I, should I make friends with this person or not? I, how should I spend my time? You're constantly asking questions. You don't seem to have any answers. We get confused when we try to place ourselves on God's level. Just like the people at Babel. When we say to God, we're, I'm going to judge you as whether you're fair or not. I'm going to judge you, God, because you gave her that and you didn't give me that. I put a picture out there, I didn't get any likes. No more sad about it. God, I don't have what other people have. This person has more than I have. I don't have a beachfront house. Yeah, but if you're here today, you're only four miles from the ocean. I don't know if you realize that. You can drive there today. What, matters, what does it matter if you actually live on the beach? We get confused when we judge God. God, why did you allow that hurt in my life? Why did you allow that into my family? Didn't allow it in this other person. They seem to be doing just fine. God, you didn't rescue me like you rescued my friend. Why? That's not fair. I'm judging you. When you do that, you start to get confused. James 3.16 is a great passage about this. It says, where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is confusion or disorder in every evil thing. You must let God be God. He moves according to his own purpose. He's the only one who's worthy to judge. Remember, you're just dust animated by deity. One more. Are you hurting? Are you hurting because of an unknown pain in the core of your being? Is there something down deep that you just can't get right? Maybe there's a spiritual worm inside of you because you have elevated yourself and you have wanted to be worshipped. You say, who would do that in a church? We came to church to worship Jesus. You know what? It is very pervasive in church life for us to say, I want to be worshipped. I want to be thought of as wonderful because of what I did or what I do or my position. And people can kind of build themselves up because they help this person or that person. It's, it's a really normal thing. It's something we have to be very careful with. Yes, we want to congratulate and love each other and thank you for serving. That's awesome. But we shouldn't find our self-esteem there. I love what Henry Blackaby used to say about this. He said, don't, don't focus on self-esteem. You need to focus on God-esteem. You see, you're just dust, but Jesus Christ thought you were valuable enough to die for so that you could be recreated and be born again and he could breathe new life into you, right? His Holy Spirit into you. Remember Jesus, after he rose, he's talking to his disciples and he goes, hey, whew, receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, 
We're going to let God be God. He's the only one worthy of worship. And if people aren't treating you good enough, you're not getting the respect you deserve, I want you to just turn it, look at yourself and go, hey, wait a minute, I'm just dust. The only thing that I have of value is Jesus Christ saved me. We need to let God be God. He's the only one worthy of worship. We need to remember, I'm just dust, animated by deity. Now, you may think, well, Steve, you know what? Come on, I get that. I'm tired of hearing about the dust. I mean, I'm not dust. I'm walking around here. Dust doesn't have the abilities that I have. They don't have the glowing personality that I have or the ability to do all kinds of wonderful stuff. Surely, you think I'm more than just dust. Okay, you're the dumbest animal on earth which is a sheep. Psalm 100, we are what? We are the sheep of his pasture. It is he who made us, not we ourselves. I'll take that. It's he who made us. It's he who made you. Your value comes completely from him. He is God. You are not. So well, you're being kind of hard on me. No, I'm not. Because it's better for you to see God for who he is because then you don't have to have all the anxiety and the worry and the challenge to be God. It's exhausting to be God. Amen? See, you all have tried it. You said amen, right? It's a lot better to say, God, you be God. You be God. We have to turn from that desire to recognize we all kind of have that desire somewhere. I want to be worshipped. It's really fun to be worshipped. It is. That's why we have grandkids. That's why we have dogs. It's fun to be worshipped, but be very careful. Recognize who you are and who he is. Turn from that desire to be worshipped. Let God be God. Because remember, you're going to remember this phrase, right? Remember, you are dust animated by deity. Now, some of you may have never received this second birth. You may never have had Jesus Christ come to you and say, listen, I want to keep you from returning to the dust. I'm building you a place in heaven. I'm building you an incredible place in heaven that only I could build because I'm God and you're not. I'm building this for you. Would you receive this invitation? And the only thing it takes to receive that invitation is to say that I'm not God. I'm a sinner. And I want to repent and have the price that Jesus paid for me count for me. It's the ultimate in humility. I can't be good. Has that happened in your life? Is that your testimony? I was dust and Jesus saved me. If it hasn't, I would really love to talk with you. And I, I'd love to help you. you know, as, as leaders and as pastors of our church, we don't, um, we're not your go-between between you and Jesus. We're the one that introduces you. It helps you know how to have a relationship. Because we're just dust as well. 
oh, I'd love to help you know Jesus. I'd love to help you recognize you're dust, but he's deity. Some of you may be saying today, you want Steve, I'm, I'm fine. I, I, I know I accepted Jesus, but I have to say, I've been a little upset with his performance lately. I don't think he's supplied me as good as I can, and I've just realized that I'm just dust, and he's deity. I need to let God be God. We're going to pray here in just a moment. I encourage you, just repent before him, say, God, I'm sorry, I took your, I started to take your glory, and I need you to remove this pain in the middle of my heart. God, I, I got confused there. I thought I could judge you. I need you to forgive me because I don't want to be confused anymore. God, I've done some things in my life. I've set up a life that's far from you, and I want to change that. God, I want you to save me because I don't want there to be distance between you and me. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.